shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, we thank you so much for those powerful words that we were able to read and hear read over us. And thank you for the song that we just sang together. And Lord, I know that sometimes we just need help when it comes to declaring praise to you, speaking truth to you, because as Lindsay said, sometimes our reality appears to be different than the truth that we hear about you. And so I just thank you for every person here today who engaged in that prayer, that song, that they were even maybe through gritted teeth. And I just thank you for what you're going to do in each of us as we go through this series together, as we get to focus on your goodness. It's just my prayer for everyone. And we know you. And we've come to rest in your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here today as we get to start this new series that we've talked about already. We talked about for a couple of weeks. It was coming. We get to start today. And uh, it's all about living in the goodness of God. It's going to be based on Psalm 23. That's why we read it just now. Just want to encourage you that if you don't have it memorized, that you would just take this as a chance to memorize that psalm. Uh, we're going to do it together in the English Standard Version called ESV, so if you wanted to do that, and remember, there's a couple little tweaks and maybe how you memorized it when you were younger, and that's how we're going to do it, though, in our groups and together as a church family, so if you want to find that, you could actually find that and memorize it. So this week, I received a book in the mail, and so I go to my mailbox, and there's a package that was mailed library rate, and, and so I, I knew it took a little while to get there because of that. And so I opened it, I went you know, up to my um, kitchen, uh, and I opened it, and inside I found this book. And actually, there's two volumes, so this is just the first volume. And this is the history of a church in uh, Burton, Arizona. Uh, and uh, this is the church that I got to pastor when I was a junior and senior in college. And so long, 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 long time ago. And so uh, I was a pastor of this church. And so they had their 90th anniversary. Just to give you a little bit of history, I was there for their 60th anniversary. So they had their 90th anniversary. And so they wrote this uh, history of the church. And they, they were uh, just amazing in their level of detail. Uh, so much so that I fill 17 pages of this book in the time that I was there from 1987 to 1988. And so as I was reading that, uh, I was just thinking about the time when I was able to be their pastor, uh, Darla, my wife at the time, and I 
would travel 175 miles each way every weekend, and we would spend our weekends with them. And we did that for about, I don't know, 20 months, something like that, as we got to be pastor there. Well, at the end of our time, and many of you know my story, you know, as we were driving to church, we were in a tragic car accident, and Darla was killed. I was in the hospital, and she was killed. And for the first time in my life, first time, I was forced to deal with one of the most greatest pains that you can experience in life. And that brought lots of doubt, that brought lots of confusion, and it brought a question, is God really good? How could a good God let women like Darla, who had given their lives to him, who were pursuing him with everything, who had such a future for him in ministry, how could he let her die? I was reading through it as it came in the mail, and uh, I got to the page that actually reflects on this. And, and what was awesome for me is they actually talked about their feelings that uh, they had at the time. And there's just a newspaper clipping here, and it says, Pastor's wife killed an accident. And I read what they felt, and I read how they also had questions, and I didn't even know they had because I was so deeply you know, enmeshed in my own grief. Well, that wasn't the only time that I've walked down the highway or the hallway of grief and sadness and loss and questioning. And you know what I realized is it won't be the last time. You know, Jesus gave us that promise. He says, in this world, you will have troubles. You can count on that. Thinking about, caused me to stop and think through. Now I'm married to Kim. And uh, just in the time that we've been together in our marriage, that we've been through infertility, miscarriage, uh, hepatitis C that I had, two different treatments with interferon, one worked, praise God for that. We had uh, went through the sickness and death of both of our dads uh, and long-time sickness. Uh, we had ADHD in our family, autoimmune disease, Lyme disease, back problems. Uh, just, I just was thinking about all the things that she and I have gone through together, you know, the betrayal of friends that we thought we could trust. Well, besides that, over the years that I've been a pastor, I've listened to countless hundreds of people as they have wrestled with God in their times of loss and grief as their questions that they have about this. How could a good God let this happen? Well, here's what I've learned along the way, some of the learnings I've had. God is always good, even when I don't see it at the moment. That's what I've learned. He's always good, even when I don't see it at the moment. And God works in mysterious ways that are beyond my capacity and my ability to understand. So my faith has been pounded out on the anvil of pain and wrestling with God about where are you when circumstances are so difficult and complicated. And I'll just say it this way. God has never, ever let me down. He's never let me down. Now, he's not always done what I asked, okay? He's not always done that. But he's never let me down. He's never abandoned me. He's never failed me. He never let me go. So today what we're going to do is we're going to come to one of the most famous chapters in the entire Bible the 23rd Psalm, and we're going to go line by line through this psalm together over the next eight weeks. We're going to take it apart because I believe that we all need to learn how to 
live in the goodness of God as we live in the reality of life. We need to learn how to do it together, and there's no better place to go than the 23rd Psalm. Now, most of us are familiar with the 23rd Psalm because it's usually read at funerals, right? Just, you know, that's where you'll find and you'll hear it read, and I, I typically read it at almost every funeral I do as well because it's so comforting and has so much truth in it. So the 23rd Psalm gives us great comfort in those times when we have lost and at those dark times when we're wondering where God is. It's just a declaration of faith that he's there. And it gives us great pain, I mean, great hope when the pain of our circumstances may be so strong that we just don't know how we can even hold on. But the beauty of the 23rd Psalm that I've discovered is that it's not just a psalm about how to hold on in death. It's a song about how to live life. It's a song about how to live life even when it's difficult and even when it's hard. It's a psalm that gives great hope for life. It's a psalm about living in the goodness of God, embracing that. And when we can accept this, when we can get this, when we can stand on this, it can help us face the difficulty that comes our way in life, and we can learn to live above our circumstances. That way, every title in this series is going to be living above, living above the circumstances that we face. We don't have to live under the crushing burden of circumstances. We can learn to live above them as we learn to live in the goodness of God. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to grab your message notes out of your program. Uh, Find some here. They're in your program. Pull them out. And, as you, and just, that'll give you a chance to take some notes today and follow along, all the Bible verses that we'll use there. You can also open your Bible to the 23rd Psalm, and so that would be a great place because we're going to look at this psalm uh, and the first line, actually, in quite some depth today. And if you don't own a Bible, I want to give you one. So right out there, there's a bookshelf. You just stop there on your way out. There are Bibles on it, and they're meant, intended to give away, so you just take one. It's our gift to you. But I wanna, I'm going to begin by reading that first verse at the top from Psalm 119. It's just a declaration of God's goodness. And it says this, you are good and what you do is good. So he's just, it's a declaration. You're good and what you do is good. Now, teach me. I need to understand this. Teach me your decrees so that I may understand your goodness. And that's what we're asking him to do. A declaration that he's good, a declaration that what he's done is good, and then a request that, God, would you teach me how to understand how you're good even when life isn't? Would you show me that? Teach me to live with confidence and trust in your truth. Now, not to believe in the goodness of God. Okay, here's, here's where some of us struggle. When we struggle with believing in the goodness of God and we actually kind of get stuck there, and um, not to believe in the goodness of God kind of creates three different negative effects in our lives that I want to share with you, just kind of help us out a little bit in case you might see yourself here a little bit today. Not to believe in the goodness of God does affect us adversely. I want to give you three. One is I lose my sense of gratitude. So if I'm not believing that God is good, then it's hard for me to be thankful. It's hard for me to look for the good things in life. We miss out on the good that he might be doing all around us. And what we end up doing is we end up believing at this point that it's all up to us. You know, it's, he failed me. He didn't come through. And so I can't find a way to be grateful for him. So I'm just going to work harder myself to overcome the circumstances that I'm in. And what happens then is that we end up spending most of our time thinking about what we don't have, what God's not done, 
that we end up focusing so much on that that we miss out on what he's actually done for us. Done for us. See, when I begin to doubt God's goodness for me, what I begin to do is I begin to doubt that he's going to work on my behalf. He's going to work on my behalf. And then I even begin to believe that he's holding out on me. Let's go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, and we'll read the serpent. As the serpent's talking to Adam and Eve, the serpent talked about this very thing. God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. And when he said that, instead of being grateful for the entire Garden of Eden, they had ingratitude. And they ate of the one thing that God said not to. And they did this thing and pulled them away from the goodness of God. But see, when I can learn to see God's goodness in everything I have, and I see this gift from him, then I'm going to be moved by gratitude. Okay, the second thing is this. I lose my sense of contentment. And this is all kind of moving into this first line of the 23rd Psalm. I lose my sense of contentment. When, so... Basically, when I doubt God's goodness to me, here's what I do and what many of you may do as well. I spend most of my time thinking about how, li- how good life would be if I had something else, right? How good it would be if I had, oh, if I had this, or I had this spouse, or I had this house, I had this car, I had this job, if I had the right people at my job, and if I had this, you know, just on and on. The list is just endless. And, you know, if I had all this, then it would be better. And so what we do is we end up looking around and say, well, God, if you were good, I would have this. And I don't have it, so you're not coming through. And so we lose our contentment, our ability to live in the goodness and presence of what he's done. And the third is I lose my sense of hope. I become pessimistic. When I doubt or lose confidence in God's goodness, I lose my sense of hope that things are going to get better or things are going to change. And I love this Psalm 27 that talks about kind of in this posture right now of Uh, of needing God to give hope in difficult circumstances. Psalm 27 says, I would have despaired unless, unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Now, this is where, you know, it comes down to trusting God is that oftentimes when we're waiting on God, it's, it's, well, I just know, in my life, it takes longer to wait than I ever thought it should, right? Like, I've waited, and I've waited, and I've waited. God, where are you? This is all right. This is, I've waited, right? But he's saying, I've, I would have despaired while waiting if I didn't believe God was good. But because I believe he's good, I don't despair. Listen, just because life is not good does not mean that God is not good. Don't confuse life with God. Don't confuse your circumstances with God. Life can be difficult, and God can be good at the same time. You can trust that. See, those times require hope. Well, we wait patiently on God to work, and we can wait with pessimism, wondering, and angst, and anger, or we can wait with optimism, and hope, and peace as we wait for him. Someone said it this way, hope is anticipating God's goodness. It's anticipating God's goodness. The foundation of all hope is the goodness of God, the belief that he's good. So let's begin today. We're going to talk about the first line of Psalm 23. As I said, we're going to read it. You know, I hope you memorize this, and we're going to take times along the way where we actually do it out loud together. 
But we're just going to take the first line today. And the first line says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's read it out loud together. Okay, ready, go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do it again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You've got one verse down. (laughs) Five to go. Five to go. Here we go. I just want to kind of walk through every word in the first part of that phrase for you. Use some blanks there. If you want to write something down, that's great. If not, just listen. It starts with the. So this is a, uh, of all the truth out there. So it's a specific thing he's talking about here. Of all the truth, all the thing out there, all the truth that I'm hearing today, I've placed my trust in one truth, that there's a one and good God, and he's my shepherd. And it says, the Lord. Now, this is probably one of the most significant words in the Old Testament, and you'll find it usually uh, in all caps because it's the word that God gave of himself when Moses was in the wilderness and God came to him and said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and the children of Israel, my people, and I want you to tell them to leave the land and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses is going, well, that's a great idea, God. I'd be happy to do that, but who shall I say is sending me? And, and he said, I am, Yahweh. He says, I am, I am. In that name, folks, in that name, God was making a promise to Moses And he's making a promise to us as well. And here's the promise. See, Moses was like, what can can I do against all this? What God was saying to him and what he would say to you when you call him your Lord, he was saying, I will be to you all you need. I will be to you all you need. You can count on that. Now, he's a magnificent God. He's the Lord. You know, they couldn't even say the name in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, they couldn't even say his name. And other names that they would say, Adonai, Jehovah, other ways that they would say his name. Well, Dallas Willers, I, I love this book, uh, Life Without Lack. It's been one of my uh, inspirations for this series. Uh, he would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack. I don't have a life without lack. And so it's a beautiful book. So I want to you know, recommend this. It's in our bookstore if you want to look at it. But here's one of his quotes from there. Uh, It says this, God is the glorious, eternal, all-sufficient, omnipotent creator of the universe whose greatness surpasses anything we could ever imagine. That's a mouthful, but it's inspiring. It's deep. Unlimited in resources, just as he is unlimited in love, he is the good shepherd who generously provides for our every need. And that's the God that David said is my Lord and my good shepherd. Next is is, verb. Present tense, meaning that my faith is current. Not he was or not he could be, he shall be, but he is currently right now. And that's the reason I can be secure because I'm saying he is my good shepherd, even though I'm not sure how life's working out around me. I trust him. And in my, it's personal. He's my Lord. Each one of us has to do this. You can't just come to church and say, you know, Twin Cities Church, the Lord is our shepherd there, but he's not mine. You have to take it personal. It has to be yours. The Lord is my own. I own this. I've invited him in. It's a personal thing. Shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's the one I surrender and I submit to. So Lord and shepherd, they both require a certain posture, a posture of humility to be able to say, I'm going to submit and surrender to this one. And the entire psalm now is a description of the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. Now, how many of you ever, how many, anybody in here ever been a shepherd? Sort of. Yeah, I was, 
I watched a sheep. <laughs> Does that count as a sheep? No, not really. Anybody ever here raise sheep? So there were several of us have raised sheep. So some of you, you, you understand how sheep are going to be. And as I, you're, you're going to love them, so you'll probably be a little offended at me as I talk about them just a little bit. So I just began, I thought we just began by understanding sheep and shepherds, okay? So let's just do three things about sheep and three things about shepherds. And let's just, just get, get it right out right now. The first one is this. Sheep are dumb. Okay? <laughs> sheep are dumb. Look at this guy. <laughs> They're just not very smart. They're not exactly the Einsteins of the animal family. <laughs> one sheep owner, I read this, one sheep owner from the state of Texas, he describes sheep this way. Sheep are just born looking for a way to die. <laughs> They're dumb. Sheep are defenseless. That's the second thing. You know, defenseless. They can't really defend themselves. And so you look at the, you know, they're just, they're just, it's an invitation right here. Come get me, right? <laughs> they don't have any way to defend themselves, really. Uh, and uh, there's nothing about them that's intimidating at all. They're just big, soft prey. That's what they are, big, soft prey. And then last, sheep are dependent. Dependent. They can't take care of themselves. They need a shepherd. And uh, the shepherd's there to make sure the sheep are uh, cared for. They, they need help finding food. They need help uh, uh, when they do find food, not to eat too much and end up with some problems that come from eating too much. And we'll talk about a little bit next week. They eat themselves into trouble, actually. They need help finding water. They can't really know where to go to find it. They need help knowing when it's time to rest. We'll talk more about that next week. They need help discovering the way to go. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. So that's a good description of sheep. And since God identifies us as sheep, here's what we have to do right now. I am a sheep, okay? There we go. See, own it. I am a sheep. Everybody in here is a sheep. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you look awfully sheepish, okay? <laughs> to do that with me. You look awfully sheepish. Okay. And that's why we need a shepherd. So what do shepherds do? Let's just quickly run through this. What do shepherds do? Uh, you know, shepherds guide their sheep. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. You know, so they need the shepherd to guide them. They show them the best way to find water, food, protection, comfort. They know the best way. Next, shepherds protect their sheep. Uh, they offer protection from the dangers around them since they're defenseless. Uh, and so uh, for the sheep, for a sheep, the world is a really dangerous place. And they need someone who's stronger, more savvy than they are to defend them. And lastly, they provide. So they provide for the sheep, so food and water, resources, all the care that they need. Shepherds nurture their sheep by providing what they need. Now, even though, as we said a while ago, even though God is good, life is not always good, okay? Okay, just own that today. And you don't have to let this shatter you. Even though God is good, life is not always good. Therefore, we need a good shepherd who will come along and guide us and protect us and provide for us. And we have this assurance, God will not abandon you. God will not leave you alone. He will stick with you no matter what because he is your good shepherd. Okay, now go ahead. The rest of you, turn your notes over on the backside. And let's just talk a little bit about living above scarcity. So we need to understand scarcity if we're going to you know, talk about this a little bit. So we all know what scarcity is, right? It's when I don't have enough, or I perceive I don't have enough. And so 
I just want to ask in your life, let's just make it real practical right now. In your life right now, what would you say? I don't have enough blank. If I had more blank, life would be better. Just think about that. I don't have enough blank, or if I had more blank, life would be better. Or another way to say it would be, it's when I don't believe there's enough blank for me. Whew. I don't believe there's enough blank for me. There may be enough blank for everybody else, but there's not enough for me. That's a scarcity mentality. It's when I don't think the world is going to be working in my favor, and therefore I must make things happen on my own. That's when I know I'm living in scarcity. See, the main problem is that I don't have the capacity or I don't have the ability to fulfill every need I have. I don't, we don't have that. See, folks, scarcity is when I don't believe, now I was taken into the spiritual realm, it's when I don't believe that God is good enough or that he cares enough or that he's able to meet my needs or I would have blank. He would have already provided blank. So therefore, I end up living with this constant fear or dread that because I don't have it now, I'll never have it. It'll never be enough. And when I live with scarcity, I'm anxious, overwhelmed, unsatisfied, and that leads to cynicism and burnout, discouragement. Scarcity mentality occurs when I lose confidence in God's goodness. So how do I place my confidence in God's goodness? That's what we want to talk about for the next few minutes. The first is this. I must choose the Lord as my shepherd. I must choose the Lord as my shepherd. Everybody, that's our assignment. Choose the Lord as my shepherd. So the beginning point in learning to live above scarcity and fear is to make the Lord your shepherd. So David said it this way, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's do that together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So I'm going to choose now. He's my shepherd. Circle that. He's my shepherd. See, the reason this is so important is that when you choose God as the shepherd of your soul, it will directly determine the satisfaction you have in life. Directly determine that. Dallas Willard from The Life Without Lack says it this way, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, describes the life we all desire, a life in which we want for nothing, or better yet, lack for nothing. Lack for that. Yet it requires that we choose him as our shepherd. And that's what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 28. By the way, this group of psalms from 23 to 29, they're all psalms that go together. Actually, 22 through 29. They all go together. And in many ways, they are actually prophecies of Jesus Christ when you read these psalms. And they go together. So Psalm 28 says this. He's talking to him. He says, I need you. Come save us. And bless us, Lord, be our shepherd, and always carry us in your arms. I'm declaring I want you to be my shepherd. Second is this, I would follow him as my shepherd. I must follow him as my shepherd. Now, when Jesus was here on earth, he made a lot of waves, you guys, when he referred himself as the good shepherd. Because when he referred to himself as the good shepherd, he was literally saying, I'm God. And so um, the religious establishment of his day. just didn't like that in any way. So he made a lot of waves by doing that. But he was saying, look, I'm it. I'm it. Do you trust me? I'm it. And you must follow me. And this is what he says in John 10, two verses. He says, I am the good shepherd. I want you to underline these words. I know, so he knows us, and my sheep know, underline that, know me, 
My sheep do what? Listen. Listen to my voice. Underline that. And I know them, and they follow me. So what he's saying here is this, is that if you're going to make me, if you're going to make me your good shepherd, if you're going to follow me as your good shepherd, you've got to do some things to get to know me. Because as you know me, you trust me. You trust that I have your best interest in mind. So how do we do that? He said it. They listen to me. They listen to me. So how do you do that? How do you pursue Jesus? How do you listen to him? Well, I just want to give you some thoughts. I was listening to a podcast on Friday. Uh, Kim and I drove up to the Truckee area to look at uh, you know, the fall colors. We were a little premature. They're not quite there yet, but we listened to this podcast on the way up there, and it was about a pastor who was really discouraged and struggling with uh, the goodness of God, and in it, uh, he was given this guidance, so I thought I would just give that for all of us today. How do we pursue him? The first one, and, and this is, I love it how um, Bill Galtier, uh, he's on, was the one doing the podcast, how he shared it. He says, he told the guy, he, you need to take gratitude showers, okay, gratitude showers. Now, some of you just need to take showers, okay, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but gratitude showers is what he was saying here, because we all, most of us, we take a shower every day, and it's kind of one of the rituals of life. The question is, what do you do in that shower time? And he was suggesting that you take gratitude showers. And then what you do during your shower time is that you simply think of all the ways that you are grateful, and all the things that have happened to you, that you're glad that they've happened, uh, even if it was afterwards, maybe it was painful at the time, but you're glad afterwards. And you look for, we used to call it this way, we look for God sightings. So you're coming back and you're reflecting on if you do it you know, in the morning, or the, you're reflecting on God sightings. Where did I see God work? I, another way is that listen to songs. You know, find the song that we just heard a while ago, The King of Love, and listen to that about over and over again. You are good, good, so good. You are good, good, so good. You will never, never, never let me down. Listen, just amazing what that truth does when it gets inside. Join a community group where you get to talk to others about how, not just about how bad life is, but you talk about how good God is. You reflect to each other. And then lastly, read the Bible. And look for how God has been a good shepherd to those. And one of the ways you might do it is just read the four Gospels. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Well, just a better way. Some of you say, I don't read. You know, I'm just going to encourage you. You don't have to read it. Play it. Listen to it. Go to Uversion. Download Uversion app. And then listen to the first four Gospels. Just let them play in your head and listen for how Jesus was the good shepherd. So you can learn that yourself. And then he says this in Psalm 73, as for me, how good it is to be near God. So I've learned to come near to him. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter and I will tell everything. How do I, when I'm grateful, what do I do? I tell everybody about the wonderful things you do. And then the last idea is this, I trust, I trust the Lord as my shepherd. I trust him as my good shepherd. I trust that God even though I don't understand it or I don't see it, is good all the time, and that ultimately God is going to work all things together for good. All things for good. So what does the good shepherd do in my life? I love these verses from Ezekiel 34. Let's encourage you that maybe these verses right here, they talk about a shepherd. They talk about God being the good shepherd and what he does. Ezekiel 34 says this, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep. 
He'll go after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered. I will tend them in a good pasture. There they will lie down in good grazing lands, and there will be feed and a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep. I will have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. These words are written so that we would know God as our good shepherd and what he promises us that he will actually do. So when we trust in God, we're saying, I trust this truth. I trust these verses to be true. Just because life is not good does not mean that God is not good. And so I'll just say it again. Don't confuse life with God. Don't confuse him. God is trustworthy, and we can trust him as our good shepherd. So based on those verses, I want you to keep those in mind. Uh, I've just been looking at all the ways that I could illustrate this to us. And I went out and looked at a bunch of YouTube videos about sheep and about shepherds. And I found a series of videos that were produced by someone from Israel. And so they're kind of helping us to understand what life in Israel is like, okay? What it's like. So I want us to watch a video now of a sheep who decides to walk away from the flock and go on its own. It's fascinating to listen and watch as the shepherd comes to find this one sheep who has wandered away from the rest of the flock. The other 99 sheep, or you might say that, are safe in the sheepfold. But this one sheep, this one sheep is in danger. And so the shepherd has to go out to find him. What I love about this is how the shepherd acts when he finds the sheep. So let's just watch, let's just listen as he comes and uses his voice and he rescues this guy.
That's what a good shepherd does. And that's God's promise to you. You know, for some of us, we may have grown up in a, an environment to where if we would have gone astray, what we would have expected at that moment was a shellacking. Strong words. Anger. But what we see from God as our good shepherd is we saw tenderness. We saw just using the language that they learned between shepherd and sheep so that the sheep was so calm, so calm, that shepherd could walk right up. And did you notice that embrace that moment? See, that's what God wants to give to us. He wants to give everyone that embrace. He wants you to know that he is your good shepherd. In case you're wondering about God's goodness to you, it's evident in Jesus Christ. When Jesus was talking about himself as a good shepherd, he goes on to say this in John 10, 10. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. That's how Jesus defines himself as our good shepherd. He sacrifices himself. He loves us so much that he gave his life away for the sheep. And Jesus would say to us today, he says, I'm so devoted to your care. I'm so devoted to you that I laid my life down for you, that you would have life. And folks, that's why David could end this whole thing by saying, I shall not want. I shall not want. Because God is my good shepherd. So I'm going to just give you the key here, and then we're going to pray together, the key idea. The secret of, com- of contentment is confident trust in the goodness of God. It's confident trust in the goodness of God. And so the Lord wants to be your shepherd. The real question is, will you let him be your shepherd? Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much that you are such a good shepherd, so good that you painted this picture of what we're like as sheep and what you're like as the shepherd, and you put it in a book, and it's called the Bible. And we could read through those pages, and we can read pretty much from cover to cover about your pursuit of us as the good shepherd as we have, lost, we have moved away from you, and we can read about then our pursuit of you as we come to see your love and know that. And so I thank you for that, that that is before us. Lord, I just pray for everyone in the room right now who would maybe see themselves as a sheep, like the one we saw, that has walked away and is distant, is out in the wilderness all alone. And there's a shepherd calling to you right now. calling to you, and he's just saying, will you stop? Will you let me come to you? And will you make me your good shepherd? And she said, all you have to do is say to Jesus, Jesus, I come to you now. I believe that I have sinned and I have done things that I regret, and I know that they've come against you as a holy God, and so I just want to ask now, Because you said that you are good and you went to a cross for me, I want to receive 
what you made possible through that cross. I want to know you, Jesus. And now I want to walk with you, and I want you to be my good shepherd, Jesus. I want to listen to you, and I want to know you. Because it's in knowing you that I have satisfaction. It's not in going to church. It's not in all the obligations we think we fulfill, Jesus. It's in knowing you. So help me to know you better and better. And God, I pray that for all of us. I pray that as we listen today, that we realize that the secret to contentment is absolute, confident trust that you are good. You are so, so good. Thank you so much. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.